Our next guest here on Mercier and Crew is somebody who needs not much in a way of an introduction. It is Marty McSorley, Stanley Cup champion, and somebody who rode shotgun with both Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux. Marty, thank you so much for taking the time today, man. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. I'm this- looking forward to coming up. I have so many different topics that I want to get to, but let's start in the OHL where you played for the Belleville Bulls. Uh, do you have any memories of coming here to play the Peets? Oh, absolutely. I love I love going into the old into the old building, you know, and and I still travel a lot with, you know, charity events and different things and some of the old buildings and I'll go into new buildings and you kind of like, "Oh, it's not the same as the old building, you know." Uh, you know, it's always like I go to Kingston, I'll I'll go over to the old building sometimes just to kind of walk through it and get a sense of it, you know? So that's always fun. You know, I always thought the Peterborough-Belleville rivalry was pretty underrated. I think there were some pretty good games over the course of uh, that franchise history. Uh, two-time Stanley Cup champion Marty McSorley with us on Mercier and Crew. Uh, what do you think of today's NHL? More and more, I've been hearing that while the size and skill of these players is something to behold, a lot of the regular season games lack passion, uh, the passion that maybe was there in your era. How do you sort of look at things? I'm, I'm mixed because I have a ton of respect for the guys that are playing, and they're, they're really dedicated, great-conditioned young men. The game has gotten so coached that, you know, the guys, you know, everything is scrutinized. You're not supposed to stand here, you stand here, right? And it's really hard to score, and they teach defense. Everybody has to play defense. Offense is not really taught. They, they accept it. You, you could play in the fourth line, go out for 20 seconds every three or four minutes, never score a goal, and still continue to play. Um, and I'm not sure if that mentality, it keeps, it keeps coaches employed. It, teaches general, it keeps general managers in their jobs. Uh, it keeps the games, you know, generally close scoring. But it's not necessarily good for the game. I, I think they do need to open the game. I had I had a guy say, put one coach on the bench, period. Just one coach. Because, you know, let the players play, and if there's mistakes, there's mistakes. Um, and, and put it back on the players. I, I really believe that that should happen. Um, the hitting part, boy, you know, we can be a little melancholy. I, I think we have to be careful, though, that, you know, we realize what, what had gone on, you know, guys having concussions and going to the bench and trainers basically saying, tell me when you're ready to go back out there. Um, I, I think that we have to get away from the victim, the guy that gets hit, that he's not a victim, that he put himself into that position and teach them not to do that. Um, you know, put some of the responsibility back on the guys who are getting hit. You know, you can't just turn your back. The game's too fast. The guys are too big. Um, but it's, 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 it's easy to be melancholy for the way it was. Uh, there was a lot of mistakes made in the past. That's what led to scoring chances. The guys aren't making the mistakes, and they're so well coached right now. You know, I read a lot about the injury uh, to Elias Pettersson in Vancouver and how fans there were so angry because he gets hit, he gets injured, and nobody comes to help him out or comes to his aid. I heard a little bit of the same when it comes to Austin Matthews. Certainly not a dirty hit that put him out, but, you know, it was a hit that ended up injuring one of your best players for, you know, the better part of a month. Do we protect stars the same? And if not, do you think we should? Well, it's different, though. Wayne and Mario never put themselves in those positions. You know, people say, well, Wayne Gretzky stood at the red line. When Wayne went to the red line, he was always on the opposite side of the benches. He saw everybody on the ice. When he was behind the net, he kept everybody in front of him. Um, 
he didn't put himself in the position to get hit. Do you think guys wanted to hit him? Yes, absolutely. Um, now, Austin Matthews, these guys are racing into the corner and they're going in after it, which is great. But you're going to get hit. You really are. And I just think that, you know, sometimes the guys get hit because they get, they're racing in in a bit of a reckless abandonment. You've got to respect the other guys that are on the ice. You've got to know when you have the puck, the, other, the job of the five other guys on the ice is to hit you. <laughs> right? And so, you know, to say come to the aid, uh, you know, if guys run out of their way to hit Austin Matthews, then should something be done? Absolutely. If guys are playing within the context of the game, I mean, I remember times in the locker room, we'd look, I'd look at some of the goal scorers and say, suck it up. Just suck it up. You know, be, be tougher. And so I, I, I think the reckless abandonment needs to kind of be reevaluated by some of the guys. Like, Pedersen's a marvelous player, but he's probably 155 pounds soaking wet. Um, he probably doesn't want to put himself in some of those positions. Two-time Stanley Cup champion Marty McSorley is with us on Mercier and Crew. Now, you were part of one of the league's most celebrated dynasties, the Oilers of the mid-1980s, and there were good years there. I mentioned you won two Stanley Cups. And then comes the trade. You were part of the famous Wayne Gretzky deal in 1988. What were your thoughts at the time, and what was hockey like in L.A. when you first arrived? Well, first of all, it broke my heart when the trade happened. I mean, I was just, I was, I was really, really, it was just kind of like rocked you. Because that team in Edmonton, I felt, was the best team in the history of the NHL. Um, you know, we, we, you know, you can go up and down that roster. Our second line was Mark Messier, Glenn Anderson, Kent Nielsen in 1987, right? It was, I mean, it was just marvelous. Uh, and, and such a great group of guys and such a special group. I didn't understand the responsibility that Wayne Gretzky had. The responsibility he had to grow the game and the responsibility he took upon himself. When we went to L.A., I understood why he wanted some guys with him. He wanted to try to bring a winning culture, which was really hard. And I'm not sure if we ever truly got rid of some of the losing mentality that was entrenched in the organization um, that we kind of battled with continuously. Uh, you know, there was, there was a show-me showboat, not showboat, but show me high-flying, score goals, B-3, but uh, get my points type of mentality. And it was really, really hard. But Wayne Gretzky and Bruce McNall changed the face of the NHL forever. I mean, all our training camp games, or, uh, exhibition games, were all over North America in places that didn't have teams, that they were hoping for teams. They used Wayne to kind of go out and sell the game and it wasn't long before Phoenix and San Jose and Anaheim and Dallas and all of that happened. And I think it was directly responsible with Bruce McNall and Wayne really selling the game and Gretz being such an unbelievable ambassador. You had some very good years in L.A., of course, making it to the Cup Final in 1993. And on the way there, you eliminated the Toronto Maple Leafs in the Conference Finals. I'm sure that was a real highlight to you. No, you know, it was awesome. I mean, that's, you wanted that pressure. I mean, I think I had... My brother cleared all the messages in my hotel in Toronto uh, that we were staying at, and he said there was about 100 threats called into the hotel, and they put every one of them through <laughs> to my room. And it, was, it was, really, was really fun because you're in the playoffs, and there was so much excitement. And, you know, the whole city of Toronto was just alive. They hadn't had, you know, they'd gone through the whole Harold Ballard uh, era. They hadn't had great teams. And Dougie Gilmore and Wendell and Felix Potvin and all those guys, you know, they 
Cliff Fletcher put together a really, really good team, and it was really fun. I loved it. I relished in that. Um, did I do my best to keep them out of the finals? Absolutely. But more than anything, you know, we were playing our game. I remember walking through the airport, and both teams kind of, you know, we got dropped off the airport at the same time, and we're walking down a corridor to our planes, and I kind of turned to Doug Gilmore, who I knew from Belleville, you know, Kingston, those old days. And I, I Doug was a phenomenal competitor. And I turned to him and, and, you know, we're walking side by side. And I said, if the media could see us now, they would have a heyday with this. Doug, he just kind of smiled. And, you know, then when, when the puck dropped, we went back at it. It was, was a really a marvelous time for hockey. I say to some of the guys now, the people that bring everything up, and I'm like, come on, let it go. It's 1993. How many years ago? You guys... You need, to, you need to tell the, you know, make it public. The team needs to do better, to, to, you know, to be a little more current with their memories. You know, it's funny you say that because I always rib my Leaf friends the same way when they keep saying, oh, the high stick, the high stick, the high stick. Yeah, there was the high stick, but I always say you had two cracks at winning. You had game six and game seven and couldn't get it done. Well, but I mean, there were so many other things. I mean, Dougie Gilmore headbutted me in the face. Kohersky standing right beside me in game five split my lip wide open, and course he skated away. And I'm like, come on, Cole. And he goes, no, not calling that. I said, fine, just call it the same both ways. There was so much that went on in that series. It's easy for a Toronto fan to say, what about this, what about that? But at the end of the day, it was a really, really great series, and it was really fun. And what it really did, too, is we had about 11 or 12 rookies. And it really, Daryl Sador, Alex Shitnick, Warren Reichel, it really propelled a lot of those guys into longer more productive NHL careers because of the experience of that. Oh, man, I absolutely love that story. Great, great insight right there. Uh, Marty McSorley is with us on Mercier and Crew on Extra 90.5. One more Gretzky-related memory for you was getting the primary assist on his record-setting 802nd goal. What was that moment like? Well, it was just so much fun to be around him. You know, Gordie Howe probably traveled with us for three, four weeks, and that was awesome. And Gordy was just, he was such a great man. And so I, I really love that. And, you know, Wayne's going to score his goal. And whether I assist on that goal or not, it's Wayne Gretzky's record. And I'm, I'm just happy that I was able to kind of, you know, be along for the ride. I, I saw so much great hockey. And all those years with Wayne, the buildings are always jam-packed. There's always a ton of media. We always got the other team's number one goaltender. It was, it was really great time. And it was I got to see it close up, um, you know, the greatest player in the game for years. And it was, uh, I'm really, really fortunate to have that experience. And, uh, what, am I glad to be part of it? Absolutely. You know, I gotta, I've got two hockey things hanging in my house, and one of them is 802, a Leroy Neiman painting that, uh, that you know, I just, they're fond memories. Very cool event last night at the Memorial Center where you suited up alongside some of the NHL alumni to take on the local police and help raise money for Special Olympics. How exactly did you get involved in those kind of games? Well, NHL players keep playing. You know, we don't retire. We just change leagues. Uh, and, and that's so, so true for so many of the guys. They love to put their gears on and get out and play and support the charities. I think if you went all across Canada for so many things that so many of the guys play in, it's really, really awesome. For me, I get to go in, and you know, Peterborough, I've been there, I think, three other times for uh, for the game, and they put on a great event. I mean, the after-game after uh, get-together with the police officers and everything, and the people in the community is really awesome uh, to go into the rink and sign some autographs, see some kids, 
take some pictures, uh, have some fun, make some plays, uh, and, and just play the game that we love. I, I really, really enjoy it. And, you know, guys like, like that are going, Mark Napier, who's a good friend of mine who we won, and uh, Ally Afraidy, and, and, you know, you, Owen Nolan, you know, some great, great players. I, I just love to put the, the skates on, get out on the ice, and we leave a good footprint. We raise some money for charity. And, you know, Special Olympics is, is such an awesome, awesome and I'm not going to use the word charity. It's it's just it, Special Olympics is such an awesome uh, uh, organization where it's it's so happy and healthy and loving, and we get so much back from it. We certainly get the best guests here on Mercier and Crew, and you were no exception, my friend. Thank you so much, Marty. Really appreciate the time. Thanks.